0: Well, hey, one more time, if it is your first time or if it's your first time back in just a little while, let me say welcome. It is really cool to look out and see just about as packed as we're going to be in this room. And so as we kind of go through just a heads up in the weeks to come as we have more people and there's still some of the distance seating, we are going to have some overflow area, so I want to put that out there as well. Um, But man, it's just good to see all this morning. So glad that you were here. And again, welcome. And if you're watching online, thank you so much for tuning in. Even last week. It was really cool to see the number of people that are still out there worshiping with us Uh, through our online platform. And so thank you so much to our online team and just everyone that's making that possible. So glad to have you as a part of this church. And so today we're going to continue. Last week was kind of this celebration of, hey, we're finally back together. And oh look, faces and people and smiling and laughing and crying. And that's okay if your kid's crying, that's all right with me. Mine will too at some point probably. So this week we're going to begin to go back and we're going to look at what we call the greatest sermon. This is a series that we started back in February and the greatest sermon is really it's not something that like we came up with at South Point we're just walking through the Sermon on the Mount this time where Jesus and his followers the disciples and this large group of people went up on the side of a mountain and he sat down and he began to teach and the message and when we read it we said it's like 15 minutes long but the reality is like you can talk about this for a long time and we have been and we will continue to do so. And so this week, we're going to jump back into that. A couple of weeks ago, really about six weeks ago, Jesus kind of had this pivot in the sermon, and it went from some of the other teachings that he had and began to talk on piety. And so he talked about giving. He talked about prayer. And this week, we're going to look at one that is often... Not practiced, not mis- it's understood. And the way I want to kind of get us thinking about this is when the world looks at America, and I've had the opportunity to go some different places, travel a little bit, some of you have as well, you understand that other cultures look at our culture and go, why do you do it that way? And we look at other cultures and we go, why do you do it that way? But when they look at ours, there are a few of them that they kind of get a little bit of credit on. Because we do some things in America that don't always make complete sense. Like, when you tell someone your birthday, the thing that would be logical would be the day, the month, and the year, right? We're America. We don't do it that way. We got to go month first, and then the day, and then the year. And it's just this weird mixing, which is confusing to people that look at it from a more logical standpoint. And then you get into some enunciation and words, and you go, hey, do y'all like football? And the world goes, we love football. And America goes, good, we do too, and we are not talking about the same thing. Years ago, I was on a mission trip, and I told a bunch of people in Venezuela, I was like, I'm going to do a football camp, and they're like, oh, cool, man, our kids will love football, and I grabbed an American football, and I go out, and I've got these kids running routes, and we're doing, you know, handoffs, and learning how to juke, and things like that, and they walked up, and I've never seen a more disappointed look, like, they didn't even say anything, they just looked at me, and I could feel like, this is a shameful moment, like. I'm not doing what you thought I was going to be doing. But look, they're having fun. Um, We talk about football very differently. If you call it soccer in another country, they're like, well, we know where you're from. And then you get into, like, simple things like measurement, like Fahrenheit and Celsius or inches in the metric system. Look, we all understand it's easier to count by ones and tens, right? Instead of fractions, like, oh, let's go five-eighths. like... We do things to a point where sometimes people look at us and go, why do you do that? And sometimes we have to explain it a little bit, and sometimes we can't really explain it. Look, I I feel like the metric system probably is better than inches, but you know what? We go with it. And then the world can look at Christianity and go, why do you do certain things even the things that we've talked about the last number of weeks, like when it comes to giving, the world looks at Christianity goes and, and says, hey, let me, let me get this straight. You take the money that you earned and you give it away at times. Like you, you, you take a portion of that and you give it to like a church body or you, you take a portion of that and you give it to a ministry or you take a portion of that and you give it to someone that's in need. Like that makes no sense to me. Like I can't understand that. Like I, there's no way that I could give because right now I'm just trying to figure out how to pay my electric bill. And then the believer can look at him and go, oh, so you're struggling. Can, can I help with that? <laughs> oh, like a light bulb kind of goes on. of, Oh, I, I kind of understand what you mean by that. Yes, I would love for some help. I would love for someone to reach out to me. And so something as crazy to the world as giving suddenly starts to make a little sense. And then they can look at us and go, okay, let me get this straight. You, you pray to some, you, you talk to some deity up in the sky, and we get to go, okay, it's not exactly just aimlessly talking to the air, but, you know, if we're at South Point, we said, we want to intentionally convey a message to God. And we go before what we believe to be the creator of the universe, and we say thank you for things, and we, we, we offer up thanks, and we offer up petitions for ourselves, for others. Can, can, I, can I pray for you? And you see a little light bulb kind of go on, it's like, Oh, if that is true, then, yeah, I would love for you to pray for me. Then we get to what we're going to talk about today. As Jesus kind of moves through this piety thing, he gets to fasting. It's like, oh, man, why did we show up today? Like, I'd rather come for the giving sermon. No, and then the world looks at it and goes, so let me get this straight. Like, you abstain from food for a time period in order to, like, grow closer and worship your God? Yeah, can I... And we don't ever ask, can I fast for you? Because then they're like, no, don't do that. And they're trying to give you a new diet plan to help you with your life. Like, fasting is one from the world standpoint and from a believer's standpoint. It's, it's, it's a radical idea, and it's one we just don't talk about that often. But what we're going to see today is Jesus talks about it. And so what I love is when we walk through Scripture the way that we do, we just, we can't avoid certain things. And so we're going to talk about something that for a lot of people, people that are maybe new to Christianity, maybe new to just kind of coming to church, or people that have been in believers for a really long time, this is one that, look, everybody's kind of on the same page because it's one that it's often just not practiced. And so if you're in here today and you're like, man, this is really convicting, I've never done that, you are in good company because That's all of us. Like, this is just one. This isn't often practiced. It's not talked about a lot, and yet we find it in Scripture. And so today, we're going to begin to do that. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today. And we're just going to look at this idea of fasting and kind of talk through it and talk about what it is, why we do it, and just try and kind of all get on the same page a little bit and then say maybe, hey, what would it look like for us to do this together? So in Matthew chapter 6, kind of going back to the Sermon on the Mount, in verse 16, You can follow along on the screen or just listen. Jesus says this, he says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their face that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So again, as we look at this, the way Jesus words things is really important. He says, when you fast, not if you fast. A lot of times we we look at fasting and go, man, that's something I've heard about. It's something we think about every now and then. But man, that's probably not for me. It's probably more for this person. Maybe they're in this position or maybe it's this person. They're walking through a certain situation. And he doesn't say that if you fast. He says, when you fast. So why do we neglect this? And when I say that, I'm, I'm not looking at anyone going, man, why are you not doing that? I'm, like, this is all of this. I, this has been a very convicting week for me in the sense that I look at this and I know there's a lot of people who have never tried this before, who've never followed in this what we'll call spiritual exercise and discipline in a little, in a little bit. It's like, I've never done that. There are people that are very mature in their faith that go, man, I've never done that. There are people in church leadership, eldership, and we go, man, I've done it, but I don't do it that often. Like, why do we neglect this when we we see it in Scripture? Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. The first one, often we don't grow up with this. Like, a lot of us just don't grow up in a church culture or a family home where this was talked about and practiced very often. And so if we don't grow up with it, what we find is it's one, as we get older, we go, man, I just don't understand that. That's why we put such an emphasis on, on, hey, we want to raise up our kids. We want to raise up our students. We want to teach them early so that they understand this. Because those are really formative ages where we go, hey, this is something that's important. Why? Because we find it in Scripture. Now, we also understand sometimes that's where sacred cows come in. When you grow up, you you have the tendency to go, well, this is what it's supposed to look like. Like for me growing up, the stage did not look like this. There were two instruments. One was on that side, one was on that side. Depending on your church culture, you flipped them out a little bit, but that was it. And that's what I knew growing up. And so sometimes those become sacred cows, but that wasn't in Scripture. This is. And so we just don't talk about it that often when we're growing up. Another reason is this can be a very difficult discipline to enact. There are some things in Scripture when we look at it and we see, okay, I'm supposed to love others. We go, okay, that's easy for me to love others, but I wanted to find others, right? You know, talking about everybody. Everybody's your neighbor. And there's some things that we look at in Scripture that we know that we've been called to do, and we look at them and go, man, it's naturally easy for me to do that. There are some other ones where it's a little more difficult. When it talks about giving, man, that's a big test of faith. I'm going to have to take, take what God's given me, and I'm going to bless others with that. And fasting is definitely one of those. Because fasting is one of those times where we go, man, I'm going to neglect my own body for something greater, to to seek out something more. But what that means is I'm going to get hangry. (laughs) We love food. If Christianity has shown the world one thing, it's that we like to eat like, we're thinking about how do we get out and get to a restaurant before such and such a denomination. That was always the joke when I was growing up. Like, we like to eat. And when we fast, we are taking that away, and we understand, like, there's going to be consequences from that. Like, I'm going to get hungry. and When I get hungry, I do this, and, like, I act out a little more quickly. And so it's a, it's a difficult discipline, and so if it's a difficult discipline, we try and take a step back from it. And the third one is just we just don't understand it that much. Like, it's not something that as a culture we talk about, we need to fast, I mean, there's intermittent fasting. That's just a a, a diet thing at this point. But when it talks about fasting, I want to give you a definition. And I actually used this one a while back, but I, I still like it, and so I'm going to keep it. Fasting, for moving forward so we kind of have an understanding, fasting is this. Fasting is a temporary renunciation of something that is in itself good, like food, in order to intensify our expression of need for something greater, namely God and his work in our lives. So what that looks like in the Old Testament, there's only one time where the Hebrews, the Israelites, were commanded to fast. It was the Day of Atonement. That was a very holy day for them where they looked out and they understood that, man, the reason that we have Passover is because of my sin, that my sin separates us from God. My sin is not God's holiness. And so on that day, they would fast, and it was a reminder that, hey, I'm going to renounce something that is good, food, to point myself towards something greater, namely for them, The idea that I am mourning deeply over my sin. I look at my sin and I see its darkness and I look at God and his holiness and I see that those things don't go together. And there was a time of mourning. There was a time of, hey, I want to reflect on something greater than my sin and it's God. And so in the Old Testament when they fasted, that's what it was to point them towards. This idea of of mourning over sin. But when we get to the New Testament, there's a little bit of a shift. Because in the New Testament, they understood Jesus was my sacrifice, like my sin has been paid for. And Yes, there were times where they would mourn over their sin, they would look at it, but for the New Testament, they understood my sin is forgiven, I'm, I'm moving past that, I'm, I'm looking towards the gospel. But when they fasted, because we find that throughout the New Testament, they fasted because they wanted to set aside distraction for direction. They understood God is speaking to us. The Holy Spirit is communicating with us. He's he's moving us in different ways. And for the New Testament, they would fast and say, hey, I want to remove the distraction so that I can get clear direction on where God is leading me. And I understand that to an extent. When I was in college, I started noticing, man, I'm having a hard time focusing. It's what we call adult ADD. And for me, like when I have really set times of study, I know I have to remove distraction. Like I don't study with music on because I will just start singing and it's not good. I can't have a TV on. Like at most, I've got a computer with with a with a couple of like commentaries pulled up on it, and that for me, like that's how I remove distraction. And when we fast from a New Testament standpoint, a lot of times what we're trying to do, we're trying to remove the distractions of the world because there's about a fifty billion of them, and we're trying to push those away so that we can hone in and listen to what God is saying. And this, in this sense, fasting becomes a discipline. It becomes a spiritual exercise. We know physically when we exercise, it makes our body stronger. Spiritually, we can exercise as well. The Puritans called fasting soul-fattening fasting. They understood, hey, I'm going to abstain from something good for a little bit. And yes, my stomach may be hungry, but man, my soul is full, and I am listening, I am hearing things from God with clarity, and I'm able to then listen and do those things. They called it soul-fattening fasting because they understood that it was benefiting them and so when we see fasting in that light we go you know what maybe we want to do that a little bit more yes maybe we understand there's going to be some hunger pains from it maybe we understand that it's going to be a difficult discipline but maybe we understand that the reward on the other side of that is huge however at the same time good things can be distorted that's why as soon as Jesus says and when you fast He starts to refer to the Pharisees. He says, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their face that their fasting may be seen by others. What we learn is sin can distort something that is meant for good. And we've seen that over and over and over again as we've walked through this. So Jesus talks about giving, something that is very good. And that can be taken and that can be, hey, it can be flaunted a little bit. He says, don't be like the hypocrites who are like maybe possibly slamming their coins down inside these coffers so that everyone can hear it. They want to be seen. That's their reward. They want that acknowledgment. It's the wrong motive. It's this holy flaunting of, hey, look how God's blessed me, and I'm just making it rain out here. You take something like prayer. He says, hey, don't stop in the middle of the street and just start proclaiming your prayer, not so that God can hear you, but so that others can see you. This sense of spiritual holiness. And man, holier than thou, look at me. You can take something as beautiful as discipleship. This idea that as we grow in our faith, we become more mature, we become more like Christ. But the danger in that that I've seen over the years is people can grow in their faith and then they get this mentality that my will is always God's will and it's dangerous. That's not what discipleship is meant to be. True discipleship is those moments where you go, I understand that I want this, but God wants something different and I'm okay with that. And even when it comes to fasting, you have these people that are disfiguring their faces, making sure that people can tell, man, that guy's fasting, he's hungry. And it becomes a way of just look at my commitment. And we get an example of this in Isaiah chapter 58. It's probably the best example in the Old Testament of what this looks like. In Isaiah 58 and verse 3, it starts with the Israelites talking and it's going to move a little bit in verse 3 the israelites are talking they say why have we fasted and you've seen it not why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it then there's a little transition and god goes behold in the day of your fasting you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers behold you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is it not the day that I have chosen to loose the bonds of the wicked, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh?" So as this begins, you've got the people of Israel. They fasted. They say, have we not fasted and you not seen it? Have we not humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? I want to stop there real quick. That's extremely, extremely dangerous. Any time in Scripture where you see someone looking at God and going, did you miss this? Did you not see what I'm doing? Do you not see my good works? Do you not see how holy and wonderful I am? There is not a moment where God can't look at us Throughout all of history, when we puff ourselves up that way and go, point to the cross and go, look what we did. Like, we, we never get to trump that. There's just never a moment in our personal holiness where we get to look and question God and go, why aren't you seeing what I'm doing? Because he gets to look and go, why don't you see what we've done? We have made the way for you. We have made salvation possible. We have made forgiveness possible. These people had been fasting and they weren't getting the answer they wanted. And so like little kids, if you've ever had those around, when they go, why aren't you doing this for me? And they don't see the trillion other things that you've done for them, this is what it's like on a cosmic level. These people look at God and go, hey, don't you see? Don't you see what we've done? And God goes, yeah, I've seen what you've done. You've done it for the wrong motive throughout all of this. He says, you went into a time of fasting, but you got hangry and you oppressed your workers, you fought, you were disunified, he said you struck with a wicked fist. Yeah, you fasted and you did it all wrong, <laughs> like you missed the point. For them, they had done some things right, like it says, hey, you did fast and man, you sat in sackcloth, that was a way of showing humility. He said, look, you did all those things, but you just did it with the wrong motive. Just like the Pharisees over and over in the New Testament, you did something right, but you did it with the wrong motive. Because here, when Jesus is talking, he's talking about the Pharisees. The Pharisees, we know, they fasted twice a week on Thursday and on Monday. The reason they did those days was Thursday was when Moses ascended up to Mount Sinai, Monday is when he descended. It was a way for them to honor that holy moment, but they did it with the wrong motive. They did it with the sense of, hey, look at me, look at me. Look what I'm doing. And God goes, I'm not concerned with empty motive. We see that throughout Scripture. In Hosea chapter 6, God goes, steadfast love is what I desire, not sacrifice. Now, we know that he desires sacrifice, but again, he's saying, look, if you're coming with a sacrifice, but you're not doing it in the right way, I'm not concerned with that. I'm concerned with the right motive. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Man, look at all all the gifts that I have, but if you don't have love, you're an annoying symbol. Man, look at, look at the, the, the ability that I have. I would lay down my life, but yeah, if you don't have love, you've done it for the wrong reason. God's not looking for empty motive. He's looking for a pure heart in all of this. And so when it comes to fasting, when we approach it in the correct way, when we approach it with a correct heart and the right motive where it's, hey, I'm trying to seek after something greater that God has, it has the ability to be very powerful. In fact, personal time with God has lasting rewards. Look in Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 1, there's this really neat moment in history that has a profound impact probably for everyone in this room. In verse 1, it says, Now there was in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manine of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they had laid their hands on them and they sent them off. This is one of the biggest moments in the New Testament. In the New Testament, you have some that we would say are definitely bigger. Birth of Christ, death and resurrection of Christ. Jesus always wins. You have the moment early on in Acts where Pentecost happens and the Holy Spirit descends on people and people are giving spiritual gifts. These are huge moments. But this, for a lot of us, that we would say I think most of us would identify as Gentile in here, this is huge for us. Because you've got a group of believers that are very committed. They're committed with the right heart and the right motive. And they know God is about to do something huge. And so they gathered together and they prayed and they fasted. And they prayed and they fasted and they listened. And in that moment, God begins to speak to them through the Holy Spirit and said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, who we'd also call Paul. In that moment, driven by the Holy Spirit because they're actively looking for direction, Believers are given this huge answer. I want you to set these two aside, and I'm going to send them off. I'm going to send them away from the just-set Jewish community to the Gentiles. And they're going to go on different mission trips, and they're going to plant churches. And here's what happens because of that faithfulness. Paul and Barnabas go off to the Roman Empire, and they begin to preach the gospel, and lives are changed, and churches are set up throughout Asia Minor and into Europe. And from that, because Rome had all of these roads that people were able to travel, I mean, they were interstates back in the day. You could move quickly. It was the internet, essentially. The church begins to spread because of that. A couple hundred years into that, this guy named Constantine becomes emperor, and he says, hey, Christianity is not going to be persecuted anymore. In fact, we're going to make it the the state religion. There's some... Good and bad to that, but here's the good that happens from it. Believers are able to worship freely. And they begin to evangelize, and they begin to teach, and the church begins to grow. In the 1500s, a guy named Martin Luther goes to a church, nails some thesis to a wall, and says, Hey, we can do better, and the Protestant come out of that. And then that begins to move throughout Europe, and people say, hey, the Bible is important to us, and evangelism is important to us, the gospel is important to us. It begins to spread throughout Europe, and someday, some people get on a boat, and they sail over to the new world, and they begin to establish churches. Within years, they'd established universities to to raise up leaders within churches, and the gospel begins to spread out. And one day, it comes to a little town called Abilene. And then from there, one day, a church called South Point is started, and from there, the gospel's been shared with a number of you. And that story translates in a lot of different areas because you can say, hey, this is, where I, this is where I came to know Christ, at this church. And you can probably trace it back to Paul and Barnabas going out on those first journeys. Listening to the Holy Spirit and fasting and prayer changed the globe all the way to today. That's the power of when we're obedient. Fasting and seeking God can change the world. So my question would be this. Why would we not want to be a part of that? As we think down the line and we think of our children's children's children, why would we not want to be a part of something today that could have an impact 2,000 years from now if Jesus hasn't come back? So the question becomes, okay, how do we do this? How do we step into this? Because again, for a lot of us, this is a new thing. So how do we fast? Like what does it look like to actually do this? I'll say this, start small. If you've never done this before, and you read in Matthew, Jesus goes on a 40-day fast and you go, I'm going to do that. Yeah, y'all laugh. Some of you may have like, that is a difficult thing. Start small. If you have never done this before, if you try and do a 40-day fast, it's either going to be very disappointing or physically dangerous. Um, because I've got some friends who have done that before and it is hard. Um, it can change your metabolism for the rest of your life. I remember looking at a friend on about day 35 and I'm like, your eyes are sinking in your head. Um, it is very difficult. And when it says Jesus was hungry, if he's Jesus, let, let's, let's work towards that if you want to. But maybe start small. Fast from one meal or fast for one day. Make that your kind of starting point of, hey, be intentional and think through and go, hey, this such and such day of this week. I'm just going to fast from lunch. I'll have breakfast. I'll have dinner. But I'm, I'm going to start there. Or maybe you look at one day of the week and go, hey, on that day, I've never done this before and I know that day is less crazy, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it that day just to start, just to see what this looks like, to begin walking in this discipline. It's the same way in any other discipline. Like you don't go running off to the gym when you haven't been and go, I'm going to work out for six hours today because the next day your body will hate you. Like you, you'll be sore in places you didn't know you had. And so, when it comes to fasting, you've never done this before, and you try to jump into a week-long fast, you'll be hungry in ways you didn't know were possible. So, start small, but be committed to starting. Have a plan for what you're going to do with your time. Fasting is not one of those things we just do just for doing its sake. That would be silly. <laughs> what are you doing this Saturday? Fasting? <laughs> is there nothing on TV? Like, I know, I know, a lot of sports aren't there, but this is one of those things you need to walk into with a plan what are you going to do with that time if it is one day look in that one day you will get hungry you need to begin to think through what am I going to do with that time when I feel that hunger that's a reminder to pray when I feel that kinda emptiness twist inside me that's a reminder to read scripture again for a lot of us today this is a moment of looking for clarity this is a moment of looking for direction removing distraction and a lot of times we don't look at food as distraction, but sometimes it can be. And you'll feel that when you're hungry. And so you need to have a plan of, okay, I'm going to walk into this, and I, here's, here's what Scripture I'm going to read. Get the YouVersion app. We talk about that a lot. Get a Scripture reading plan and say, hey, on that day when I'm fasting, I feel like this is where the Spirit's leading me, and I'm going to spend some time reading that. And I might read it again. I might read it again. And here's the things that I want to intentionally pray for, because this is where I feel like this is the direction I feel like God's leading, and I want to make sure that that's God's will, not just my desire. But you need to have a plan as you walk into this. And the final thing is this. You need to be ready to listen. So many times when we talk about prayer, when we talk about fasting, it's us conveying a message to God, but then we don't take the time to to listen to his revelation and illumination that he's trying to give to us. You're looking for an answer. Listen. Be willing to take the time to listen to what the Holy Spirit is guiding you in in those moments. And be okay with that answer. Because sometimes it's, yes, that's really what I was wanting. Sometimes it's, okay, God, not exactly what I wanted to hear, but I'm willing to wait. (laughs) And sometimes that's the reality of it. But we got to be able to listen. Because we do know that God speaks to us. Sometimes he reveals it through scripture. Sometimes he reveals it through a good word from someone. But you've got to be willing to listen in those moments. And we've got to be willing to take a step out into something that a lot of times we look at and go, God, that's difficult. Like this is one this week. Stepping out into this is not the easiest thing. But as we as a church are looking for what's, what's next for us, like my prayer is that we would do that together. As you're searching for answers in your life, maybe this is the way that you've never approached it, that God's going, I'm just waiting on you. you no, know we're called. Not if, or not, not if, but when. So let's maybe take a big step this week, whether that's from an individual or a church standpoint, and try this. And just see what God teaches you in it. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, time and time again in scripture, we see ways that you speak to us. Time and time again, we see that you you are constantly sending us truth. God, we see it in your word when we sit down and read it and pour over it and meditate on it. We see it in the Holy Spirit and prompting. God, maybe you're speaking to someone this morning and this is the most foreign thing in the world because it's not something they feel a calling to because they've never begun a relationship with Christ. They've never had that moment where they've said, yes, I want to follow Christ. And so if that's you today and you're kind of wrestling through that, Know this, what we call the gospel, that yes, God is loving, he created us, but we are sinful people. We all, we, I think we all acknowledge that, but the reality is that sin separates us from God. And the only way back to him is through the cross and through Jesus Christ, who laid down his life so that we could have forgiveness, that we could be made into a new creation, and that we could be called to growth itself So if you've never done that before today, it's simply saying, look, I acknowledge that I am a sinner. I want to turn from that. I want to follow Christ. And if you've done that, I would encourage you, put that on a connect card, talk to one of our staff or pastors. Like, we want to celebrate that. We want to walk through that with you. And for a lot of us, I pray that we're willing to take big steps of faith to see clearly what you want for us. God, we love you. We ask all of this in Christ's name, amen.